Welcome back to the Carrot and Stick podcast, a podcast series focused on helping sales managers to become more effective in their roles. I swear to God, I've changed that intro every single time we do this. Today, I'm talking to Ben Wallin, the co-founder and director of Edison Smart. They are a recruitment company of about 30 heads or so, but Ben has had a 20-year career of advancing and growing his management style. And today, we dig into all kinds of topics around how to become a better and more effective manager. We start out by looking at what the modern salesperson or recruiter looks like and their needs and how they've changed Ben as a manager over time. We take a look at the lessons that he's learned and how that's influenced how he acts as a person from a massive fear of failure through to taking it personally when people left. We have a really good chat there. And then we end things on a really interesting conversation about the cultural differences between the UK and the US and what hiring looks like between the two, as well as how to mitigate those differences by taking stuff with you across from the UK. It's a really interesting chat and it's got a wonderful couple of stories at the end. Two stories that I am not going to forget anytime soon. So I really hope you enjoy this episode. Here's Ben Wallin, co-founder of Edison Smart. Ben, absolute pleasure having you on, mate. Thank you so much for giving us the time. We had a little chat earlier on about some really interesting topics we want to go through today. Um, You, as you said, 20 years experience in recruitment. You've seen a lot of change over time, whether it's technology, whether it's people, whether it's process. Lots has changed over that time, but the overarching theme being the evolving as a manager and the management styles that you've got, followed by three kind of key topics. First one being the modern salesperson or recruiter, their needs and how you've had to change based on the uh, available talent that you've got to bring into your organizations. Evolving as a manager and the lessons that you've learned. And then a fun one at the end, I think, cultural differences between the UK and the US. Should we get into it? Let's do it. Yeah. Wicked. Let's start with that top one then. What do you see has changed in the modern recruiter or the modern salesperson versus 20 years ago when you first got started? Oh, that, that's a big topic. I mean, I think that certainly, I mean, we could talk all day about the introduction of technology and how that enables everybody. And obviously you guys have one up of, you know, we use your technology that I wish I had that uh, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. I think having that real time kind of data People will talk about KPIs. It's got negative connotations a lot. I mean, I I don't view it that way. Um, often the first thing you get in interviews is, are you a KPI-driven company? And it kind of drives me mad because it's all about how it's framed for me and, you know, how we use it. Um, but certainly I think, you know, the various kind of plugins and the development of um, AI uh, solutions is, is going to be big for us. But, you know, I also think that when I came into it, I mean, I, when I first started in recruitment, I was in central London, and the, the, the amount of kind of your stereotype recruiters that are getting off the train at Liverpool Street from Essex and Kent with their pinstripe suits and, you know, just almost that so stereotypical kind of recruiter that I think, unfortunately, a lot of people look at the industry and that's maybe the first kind of image that comes to their mind. Um, I, not to say that, um, that that type of approach to sales, if you like, uh, doesn't work. It does can absolutely work. But if I look at some of the people I've worked with more recently, um, and, and I say recently, probably like in the last 10 years, a real, you know, a brilliant blend of all sorts of backgrounds, all sorts of different approaches to recruitment. Um, and I think that fortunately, a lot of organizations, you still get a few kind of old school ones, but I think a lot have realized that it doesn't need to be that kind of hit the phone, uh, boiler room type setup anymore. Um, and perhaps you need to be a little bit more forgiving and trust, put up an element of trust into the people that you've hired. You've gone through the interview process with them. You've opted to hire them. That actually there's there's different ways to kind of skin a cat. 
even if they don't have that much experience. I mean, of course, there's got to be that initial learning and foundation. and You want to get away from any kind of fear of the phone. But I think that recruitment, and I'm talking more about the agency world here because that's what, all I've, I've known, is um, it, it's attracted a huge array of individuals from different backgrounds and and it can all work. It can all work. And I think it's mm. become a very inclusive industry. There's no barriers to the industry. You don't need any qualifications as such. Some might say that you need a degree if they're trying to do a grad scheme, but not not many. So I think it's been great. I think it's become a really good uh, forward-thinking organization that is a barometer of the economy. And in recent times, that's been key. Um, so it, a huge, huge change, huge change. And you've got to embrace it. And then how have you evolved as a manager to deal with that then? Because as you say, we've sort of moved past the stereotypical old school, you know, wall for Wall Street, like aggressive, like bro culture in a way that we used to kind of associate with a lot of sales companies, especially, you know, 20, 30 years ago. These days, yeah. as you say, there's a lot of people that think differently coming into it. And you realize, okay, these are the majority of the workforce now. We've got to support them better. What have you done? What have you changed in your management style to better support those kinds of people? Well, do you know what? I mean, I've been involved in two startup organizations and one thing that they both had in common was when we were hiring people, perhaps skipped on a few months and we're beginning to hire maybe some people of experience. Um, the amount of people that have been in a pretty hardcore environment who just either just burnt out or just actually kind of looked up and about and realized not every agency is like this. And so we've I've hired a lot of kind of second jobbers, if you like, that had a really good foundation, had a really good work ethic and knew the kind of the basics, but just didn't want to be in that environment anymore. Um, and I would say that that kind of environment is few and far between now. Um, the company that I co-founded now, Edison Smart, we're, we're down in Basingstoke in Hampshire. Um, so it's a very different to London where there's literally an agency in every corner. So where we can take talent from isn't, there isn't an abundance of them, but there are two or three in nearby towns and cities like Reading, for example, where these do still have that quite kind of chain to your desk, hit the phone, call reports, call hours, go through the database, um, mm. can't leave until you've made a certain amount of calls, but kind of mantra. And that's great if that works for them, brilliant. But what's great, even better for us, is that we've attracted people that don't want that anymore. And I think there's increasingly people there that, you know, got more savvy to the fact that this isn't, this isn't recruitment. You know, there's, there's, there's different cultures, different environments, and um, we can kind of benefit from that. Some people might stay there for, the, for their whole career and that's what, that's what makes them successful. Perhaps they need that kind of discipline mm. in order to be successful. That personally, that's, that's not me. That's not my management style. I don't want to feel, I don't want to be on top of somebody so much like that, that you know, day in, day out, um, I prefer to give a little bit of rope in all honesty. I've kind of learned that uh, over the years. Um, but if we can benefit from it, then mm. great. This isn't necessarily reflective of what I believe. It's more what I've heard some people argue against this sort of mantra of, you know, we have to be more culture focused. We have to be in by employee engagement. We have to make them feel more cared for is that fundamentally recruitment sort of lives and dies on the number that you bring into the business revenue wise, right? Like we can always be lovely and soft and fluffy, but if they aren't delivering the numbers they need to, to keep the business afloat and ultimately pay for themselves and then some to make the business profitable, there's a problem. So how yeah. are you guys driving that, you know, that focus on the outcomes, on the revenue that needs to be brought into the business without it becoming a right, you must make this many phone calls if you're going to be able to achieve A, B and C. How's, your, how's that evolved maybe for you versus the old school boiler room that you may have uh, seen previously? 
Um, it's evolved massively for me. If I think back to when I first started uh, managing people, when I was in that classic um, kind of billing manager role, which is probably the toughest role in recruitment, I think everybody would agree. Um, I can look back on it now, you know, quite with a smile on my face, really, because there were some things that I think I was pretty quite good at. I really, I was so happy to move into that management position. I, I knew that's where I wanted to go with my career. And I was probably quite um, energetic, um, probably quite motivational, um, kind of one of the guys. But looking back at it now, I lacked, I lacked the detail. I wasn't in, in the weeds of them. I didn't understand and probably spend enough time looking at the their data really and kind of working backwards from it didn't understand their ratios and understand what a good day looks like for them um couldn't really give them specific analysis whether it be you know monthly reviews for example i was just kind of like the motivator um and one kind of reoccurring thing i had from my my bosses for for a few years was i've got to be more into the detail you know we've got various platforms we've got our database we've got you know the finance team that can that can probably give me some of the analysis I needed, but I just, I, I, I was kind of on, looked at the other side of management. And I think if I skip on now to where we are today, I just watch the data. Um, and that's, that's not about being micromanaged approach. That's not about being KPI driven, but you know, we're in sales. How, how can we understand what's working and what's not if you're not looking at the data? And if you can start looking backwards. And so when I sit down to my guys now, I've got a load of trends, I've got some good analysis. You know, I had to put some real um, prep into it. You know, some of the stuff, you know, like one up and so forth makes life a bit easier for us. You are plugging us all day today. I'm loving this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's generally made life a little bit easier. And, in, 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 you know, certainly when you're looking at some of the numbers and, and you're crunching it and it's in its spits I hope out. So. <laughs> but I think that is probably natural. I think probably a lot of people, you know, I'm 41 now. Um, and I look back on it and I think, God, I didn't do that. I didn't do this. Why, you know, what, maybe it would have different outcomes. But I think the best way I can support my guys now is by looking at the data with them, working backwards, understanding what their ratios are, understanding what they need to do in order to benchmark. So, hey, you know, if you know you need to get 20 CVs out and 20 first interviews a month, that is going to give you two deals a month. Mm. History tells us that. You can't get away from that. That is black and white. Now, okay, you're going to have the odd bit of bad luck or something crazy kind of goes out of that. But if you've got enough data to look at and analyze, and then everybody knows, and then you're kind of on a level, and then that comes a really good, snappy conversation to have, you know, in another month or a couple of weeks, whatever it is, and they know where they need to be. And, and that's just one kind of snippet, but there's no way I was thinking about that stuff earlier earlier in my kind of um, management career. Mm. Um, but, you know, hindsight's a, a wonderful thing. It is, yeah, it absolutely is. Again, to be maybe a little bit cynical, someone might turn around and say, well, okay, you're getting to the point where you're letting them perform for a while and then showing them where the gaps are and go, right, here are your ratios. Here's, if we work backwards, what you've got to do. You're being yeah. a coach there rather than a manager. You're helping them get to the answer themselves and almost showing them the way to the answer rather than telling it themselves. Someone yeah. might turn around and say, you could tell them on day one, look, here are your numbers and here's why those numbers exist is because we can see from our own data, you've got to do this and this to be able to achieve X, Y, and Z that means you'll be successful. Mm. why do you take that approach of being i don't want to say being softer but being more patient and kind of letting them see for themselves over time what it is they have to be doing rather than telling and prescribing from day one yeah yeah I, I think um i think management is all about personalities uh you, you you can't treat everybody the same um i i'm a big believer in will versus skill um and this skill is a little bit 
it, it's not apparent to begin with. You know, you've got to, you've got to, got to give that time to see whether or not they've just got the. There's something intangible about sales. It's just the nous. It's the savviness. It's the. You know how some people just got the knack of just weeding out just a brilliant candidate. You're thinking, how have they done that? Yeah. Some people have got that, and some people don't. It's really difficult to kind of put your finger on it. So I think they needed that a little bit of time. But if they're showing me the will, and they go in the extra yard, and you just know, you know when somebody's working hard. You know, you literally smoke is coming out there. You just know somebody's had a great day, or really tried that day. Then, then. I think you've got to persevere with that type, the type of individual, and then just hope that the skill bit kind of comes along with the coaching, with the mentoring. But you know, I also, I mean, my co-founder uh, Dan, um, him and I are quite different in our management styles, and, and that probably works because we, everyone says we complement each other. But he's probably a bit, a bit harder, maybe a bit less impatient, which I think, um, you know, absolutely works. Um, and and I'm a bit more. I want to give people a bit of rope. I prefer a bit more of a grown-up autonomous environment and culture. That's what I want want to have here. I've worked in both environments, and I know what kind of. If I was in their shoes, if I'm in one of my 360 consultants' shoes, I know how I would prefer to be managed. And、mm. I think you've got to kind of when you've had 20 years of it, you can remember that in certain stories and instances.、Um, there's no 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 wrong way. No 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 way is the wrong or, or right way. It's just how I've learned that. It work, works for me, and and hopefully works 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 for the guys. I think you've got to treat people a bit more like adults now, as opposed to, yeah, as I said earlier, just just a hundred and one KPIs that you've got to achieve by the end of the day. Otherwise, you can't get home. Yeah, yeah it's not 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 the environment I want to, you know, put out there. I mean, it's ironically why we have the name carrot and stick, right? Is are you using the numbers as a carrot or are you using them as a stick, right? Is it more of a guide、yeah. or is it a hard number you've got to hit? Otherwise, you're in trouble, basically. And I think it's that latter way of thinking that. At least I hope is slowly starting to work its way away.、Um, and expanding on that a bit further, further than our second topic was around evolving as a manager and the lessons that you've learned. Then, talk me through this because again, twenty years is a long time to build up the skill set of being a manager and the kind of mistakes that you make along the way. Can you think of any particular turning points or moments where you learn something really pivotal that you were like, right, I'm definitely doing A, B, and C moving forwards as a reflection or as a response to this moment in time? Ah、uh, yeah, yeah, several. I mean, give, give、um, me your, give me your top ones, the biggest learners you've got, and what happened. Um, I would say that when I um, so I worked for a company called Console Partners for thirteen years, and um, I was like the, I knew the owners previously, and I was along with another colleague, we were the first people that joined, so it was a very much startup environment. Um, and you know we built the company up, and I then went into a team leader role. And then, actually, funny enough, when I was in that team leader role,、um, I was running a, a digital content team, and there were two co-founders, and one of the co-founders was sat on our desk, and I just couldn't manage because he was on the desk. You know, I've got four or five people around me, and I just didn't feel as if I had room to kind of make a mark and and get the buy-in from the guys. So I remember having to say to him, even though he owned the company, can you can you Sod off, please. You know, I'm I'm never going to learn if you're sat on the table because everyone's gravitated towards you,、um, which he did, and he, he totally understood, and 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 he kind of moved off, and that that probably was one of the biggest.、Uh, that I felt as if that then got me going. You know, I felt as if I had the autonomy. But skip on a few years, we we had an office out in Los Angeles that was doing really well, and we wanted to set up an office in, on the East Coast also. And I had lots of customers in Boston. I went there frequently, so it was kind of an obvious choice for me to go. 
So I did, I went over there. And again, that's another startup environment because we had an office in downtown Boston. I took um, one of the guys with me from the London office. He fancied the move as well. But then we just had to hire local talent. Now suddenly I'm by myself, um, hundreds of miles away from either of the co-founders, building a team from scratch, which I hadn't done before. But then it was everything else with it. Is It was the reporting. It was the analysis. It was being into more detail than probably I'd ever had to be involved in. Um, and I got caught short. I got caught short. I, I would be involved in kind of board meetings and I'd be calling in um, and there'd be some questions fired and I didn't have the answers. I, I didn't have the answers. Mm. And, and I was shown up uh, at 100%. And I remember coming home and saying, talking to my wife, just saying, wow, yeah, this is, this is a bit of a step up. Um, I need to sort this out. Um, and to be fair, they were great. You know, they, they it was always going to be a slight risk for somebody that hadn't kind of run it because essentially it was his own business. Um, and they did support me. That was a learning curve. I, I, I had to really knuckle down and find ways to get myself out of the sales floor, focus on reports that I needed to put forward and strategy and all the kind of um, granular stuff. That was probably my biggest learn from a management point of view. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, and then obviously hiring an American team, which was very different. The talent out there and how they perceive recruitment and the type of personalities we hired compared to what was the you know, London-based recruiter was uh, was also a you know, learning curve as well. Mm, I bet. I mean, coming to that in a minute as well, because I think that'll be a really interesting topic about the cultural differences that you get over there. That is our third topic we'll come on to. Um, but just to come back for a second there, you spoke about getting off the sales floor and being able to sort of develop and grow as a manager. I imagine there are many others out there who probably feel like you, you know, they've been top performers previously, they've been promoted to being a manager, they've been mm. given a little lick of training or a little bit of guidance, and then are just like, yep, good luck, go and figure it all out. Yeah. Where do you even start there to improve as a manager? What were you doing to, you know, improve? Were you going and finding mentors? Were you speaking to others inside the business that were doing that back in the UK? What were you doing to grow and develop? I think you always need some kind of sanity check, you know, somebody that you trust, obviously somebody that knows where you're coming from, you know, whether it be a mentor, maybe a colleague, an ex-colleague that's perhaps a little bit removed, but you can pick up the phone and just go, do you know what, I just need a sanity check here, you know, just a check and balance, essentially. I, I was lucky enough to have that with a couple of people, uh, for sure. Um, I had one good bit of advice from one of the founders, which was, um, you need to work from home or get yourself out of that office minimum. I mean, now it seems stupid because people do it a lot, but at the time it was like once a fortnight. And I was like, oh, really? Okay. Yeah, because you need you need to think objectively about stuff. It's, it's as everybody knows, when you're in a management position and you're on the floor, most of your day is caught up in the 101 questions you get. Some of them are named, some of them great, some of them are going to be really, um, you know, take up your time. Mm. But that enabled me to really just kind of be at home, lock myself away, do what needs to be done, let your mind just run away with it, come up with a few ideas. Um, and basically for me, one of my biggest drivers has always been fear of failure. And I, I had a massive fear of failure about that Boston office because I knew it was going to be important. I couldn't let it fail. Absolutely couldn't. And when I got shown up in that kind of board meeting, that was, as I said earlier, stake in the ground. I can't let that happen again. So I was absolutely open to advice that I could be given. But that was probably one of the best ones is you've got to take yourself out of the environment sometimes. 100%. We recommend it a lot to our SLT, to be fair, our leadership team, as we say, you know, one day a month, take yourself out of the business and go and work on your department, not in it. 
Because like you said, yeah. when you're working in it, your face is in the furnace. You're so focused on that day to day. And you're thinking super like, you're thinking maximum like a week ahead, maybe a month at a push. But if you get yeah. yourself out of that environment where you're so used to working and have a chance just to pause and think, okay, let's think three to six months down the line now. If I ignore what's going on today and think more about the macro, what's <laughs> going to happen in three to six? What have we got to start changing? What should our goals be in the near term in order to move things forward? So I'm a massive advocate of the whole get out of the business and work on it, not in it instead. Really important, I think. Yeah, and you know what? It's funny Funny that I kind of bring this up now because um, I'm probably not doing that enough now. <laughs> I get it in the calendar. Own advice. <laughs> Dan and I have spoken that we just need to maybe just get away, you know, go go wherever, go to a, a, a country hotel and just talk through the business, you know, for the whole day. Um, but we get kind of too caught up in it. So um, I probably need to heed some of that advice um, again, actually. But, but you know what? I think that um, I also remember during that time, is I felt very personally about about what I was building and you know if an employee left or if somebody took another offer turned us down went to another agency or even if my who I was reporting to if they were kind of giving us a tough time for maybe underperformance whatever it might be I, I used to take it really personally I used to get super defensive um, in a way, I think that was, I've been told both things. I've told that was a great trait because I was in, in, in the kind of trenches with my guys and I, and I would absolutely defend them to the hilt. But in other times I was way too defensive. I just needed to kind of go fair enough. I need to learn from that. Yeah. you got a good point. Um, that was absolutely a part of growing into a manager, which is you, you've got to take the stuff on the chin. Yeah. And, and I, for a few, for, for a while there, I, I just thought I knew it all. You know, yeah. they're not here day to day. I am. Um, what do you know? But, you know, yeah, like I said, learning curves. I have it a lot when people leave us like lately is loads of people leaving. But like earlier on in the business, if someone left like you, I'd have been really upset and just been like, you know, what have I done wrong? How have I failed them? Clearly, we're not as exciting as I thought we were. And you yeah. kind of realize like some things, it doesn't matter how exciting you are or unexciting you are. People are going to move on at some point. And it's an inevitable thing you have to face. And yeah. I know I've got used to it now. I'm pretty sure some of my team managers, for example, would be mortally offended if one of their team left tomorrow or something. But now you get to a stage where you just start realizing it does happen and it's okay. Like no one's yeah. impervious to having someone leave. So just be ready for that and expect it at the same time, right? It will happen one day. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Um, I think uh, in most people in sales, and I think in particularly in recruitment, you talk about having a thick skin. Um, and it, we talk about it a lot because some people are naturally perhaps born with thick skin. They, they, they are quite good at shrugging things off. Um, I think with most, it evolves over a period of time. I think that's certainly the case for me. Um, yeah. In those earlier years, particularly as a manager, I took things way too, I was too sensitive. I was too sensitive. Just to dig back into what you said earlier as well. You said during the earlier years, you know, you weren't really data focused. You wanted to be kind of one, one of the boys, one of the team in a way as well. Do you think that was a desire to be liked by your team? Because you, in a way, saw that as success as being a manager rather than so much having a successful team that delivered? Or is it something else? Part of it. You're probably right. I, I think that because I was um, I was one of them, I, I was uh, another billing consultant, and um, suddenly you get elevated. And you don't want to lose that because you know, London is a social place. You still want to go out and have beers and, you know, but suddenly, and again, that was probably a bit of a learning curve. You have to detach yourself and, and sometimes go, do you know what? I'm not going to come out tonight. I'm going to leave you guys to it. Um, and I think I, that took that was took a while to kind of sink in because I enjoyed that part of it. You know, people, you, you're still in your 20s. 
um, you're in London, it's your spontaneous beers or team night out. And I had to learn just to distance uh, in order to perhaps get that element of, of credibility. Um, I think you can have a bit of both, no doubt about it. I mean, one of the guys that I brought on as a graduate during that time, um, he ended up staying with me for 10 years. He came out to Boston with me, um, turned into a great friend. He's actually the, the uh, godfather of my daughter. Mm. Um, so, you know, you can do both. Uh, but yeah, I think that I, I, I was just, I still wanted to be part of the part of the gang, you know? Yeah. It's really hard when you have to have tough conversations when you want to be part of the gang in a way, right? Because that's where that very clear line of separation between manager and someone reporting to said manager really becomes clear. And that can make it quite awkward as those personal relationships try to evolve, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Oh, no doubt about it. I've had some very awkward situations in the past, you know, putting people through disciplinary or, or having to let them go. Um, I'll still, I'll still see you outside for a beer tonight, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not I mean, easy. Thankfully, I don't think there's, there's been a couple that probably won't talk to me again, but I think overall I've probably done okay. Yeah, good, good. Let's go on to that third topic then, those cultural differences between the UK and the US. Like we as a business, probably in the next few years, we'll find ourselves going to the US as well. So I'm really keen to hear about this personally, not just for the podcast as well. Yeah. What was the biggest shock that you had when you guys first went out to Boston? You started hiring people nearby. What were the big differences that you saw between the guys you brought from the UK and those that you saw in the US? Yeah, so I brought two people over from the UK, and um, that gave us a really good foundation, and uh, you know that we needed it um, really in order to show other people coming in, you know, th the way how to do it. Because I knew going out there from other people that had set up offices in other parts of the US and and our office in Los Angeles that you know there's a reason why a lot of Brits move abroad. You know, whether it be to the US, it could be to Dubai, Australia. There's something. We're just wired, I think, a bit differently. I think it's the way that we are trained. I think it's the level of competition, to be honest, hugely competitive, you know, the London agency scene. So you have to be good, you know, you're not going to survive otherwise. And it is deemed very much as a sales position, recruitment. And so it should be. When you when I went to the US, it was very apparent to me when I started interviewing people that a lot of them, you know, you'd ask for their top three you know, reasons for wanting to be in recruitment or what's important to them. Rarely was it money. Hmm. rarely most of the time it was like oh i just love the idea of getting somebody their dream job uh, and they see it maybe more as an hr function than, than you know a standalone recruitment function and that's great if that's the buzz that you get out of recruitment then brilliant everyone has different motivations but it became apparent that there was just a, a kind of a lack of urgency um, and i think everyone has noticed that a lot of americans prefer emailing it's a big email kind of culture as opposed to picking up the phone and go, yeah, but, you know, they don't they don't know me. Uh, let me schedule the call. Let me schedule. No, no, no. Just, just pick up the their number. Just, just, just phone them. Um, but I remember when I went out there and I phoned a couple of customers and their voicemails, their landline on their desk in their office, their voice, there was on voicemail permanently, just said, I will not pick up this phone. You're best off leaving a voicemail or send me a an email. And I was like, wow, I don't think I'd get that response, that, that voicemail uh, message in the UK or in Europe. But they just do things a little bit differently over there. So, you know, we, we struggled. And I think a lot of agencies struggle to find those um, stereotypical London type recruiters. Uh, they've just got that urgency about them. And there's some brilliant recruiters, don't get me wrong, of course. And it's a huge industry out there. That is, but it's just viewed a different way. And in some ways, it's great because... You know, we, we work from here. We do most of our works in the U.S., even though we're in Basingstoke. 
probably about 78% of our business is US driven. Um, and we have a great pickup response rate um, and they love it. They feel that they're quite flattered that they're being headhunted per se. Whereas in Europe and the UK, you know, it's, it's that it's unfortunately the recruitment industry isn't perceived that way by a lot of people. Um, so actually that was very enlightening when we went out there because you'd have great conversations, welcoming kind of conversations, um, you know, every day. But in terms of hiring local talent, it was, it was, um, yeah, it was, it was tough, no doubt. Interesting. I think that's, it's, it's fascinating because I think when we think of the stereotypical American, dare I say, I'm sorry, Americans that are listening to this, mm-hmm. you think of the stereotypical American here in the UK, you think loud, competitive, all about, you know, that American spirit really wants the whole like American dream is ambitious, is money motivated, all that kind of good stuff, right? Whereas what you're saying there is actually, it sounds quite the opposite where a lot of them are, you know, a bit more chilled, not as urgent, like you say, willing to take yeah. emails over phone calls. It's quite a bizarre thing to hear. Yeah, it, I mean, I certainly, when our Los Angeles office, I mean, it was, I think you just used the right word, a bit more chilled. You know, they were one block from, they're in Santa Monica, they were one block from the beach. Um, and that did seem to kind of resonate a bit with, with some of the hires. Um, and some brilliant hires were made, no, don't get me wrong. Um, but it's just, it's just a culture clash, right? Um, and the best thing that, well, I think a lot of agencies do is try and get kind of e-visa status, take over some of your good performers, ones that you, you know, can go and keep them in, you know, in, in the business. Maybe it's a good way to retain them um, and they can lead the way. Um, and I think that's a good model and that's a good model. Yeah. And I think really you sort of mentioned it earlier on, but like a few of our customers I know that I've been speaking to have been saying we're only hiring senior recruiters now, those that have had a couple of years in the role, because when times get tough, like they have been for the last six months or most of the market, you want those who understand, look, this doesn't mean it's all over. It's not put the brakes on. It's not stop what I'm doing. It's not a free ride. We do have to really graft to still get this business in. And it sounds yeah. like in a way you're, you took the guys with you to the US that had that sort of mentality of you've got to work damn hard to still make this work, as you say, to sort of set the path for everyone else to walk down as well. Yeah, 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 no doubt. And um, I think whenever we manage to attract somebody from a other Boston agency to come in and talk to us, there was always... Yeah, a kind of it was eye-opening for them. I think the way that we went about things, um, and there's a lot of intrigue. Because uh, obviously we're new kids on the block. And there weren't that many other kind of British-based. Um, there was quite a few now, but British-based agencies there at the time. And I think it, we we created a bit of a wave, um, and and I used it to our advantage. I, I was even when we were talking to customers. You know, they they were saying, yeah, we we will be a bit more aggressive, but we'll get your results. Um, that's that's kind of what we do. Um, I, th- I think things might be changing a little bit over there now. And obviously there's been a big influx of, you know, British and European recruitment agencies setting up shop out there. And so I'm sure being, you know, what you hear from those guys, how similar it will be, I don't know, but, um, yeah, you got to embrace it. You got to embrace it. Um, we had some great hires out there, but yeah, there were some ones that just, oh, you know, they, they weren't wired the way that maybe London agencies are. Mm. And it can be quite mercenary in the US as well in terms of like labor laws and stuff like that is that they can basically be up and off in two seconds. I remember hearing from a another software company founder opened a US office, hired a bunch of people and about six months in pretty much everyone handed the notice in and two weeks later he had no staff in the US. It was absolutely mental. Yeah, well, a lot of states have the kind of at will employment um, kind of policy. So yeah, they can up six and 
just go that day really and you only got to pay them maybe 24 hours um and that's it i mean it can work kind of both ways i mean i had a couple of situations where i just had to get rid of people and um it was very quick and clean and i was thankful very, very easy versus how it is in the uk essentially right oh yeah yeah, yeah. that's it it's, cr it's crazy just a completely different world out there which i love and but yeah. thank you those are all three really good topics and those are lessons i've taken from that i always like coming to stories as well people always remember stories is the way that i think about it what I'd love to hear from you is over that space of your career, your favorite stories, one positive one, maybe you've done something really well or someone in your team has done something really well. And then give me a horror story and what you learned from it. Oh God. I tell you a horror story first off, just because it comes to mind when it was, when I was in Boston, I hired this guy and he's a ball of energy and he um, had worked for, things like a Robert Walters or something. So had, you know, a pretty good kind of foundation in, in I think they have like three years or something. Um, a bit quirky, but I quite liked it, actually. Um, I thought it could be good for what a small office environment I thought could be, you know, just, just a big personality. I quite liked it. Anyway, he comes in the first day and he comes in with a bag full of soft toys, like um, kind of soft, like American footballs and basketballs and stuff. And he's throwing them around the office and trying to get people to catch them and throw back. And he's like, yeah, this is great for kind of teamwork. And it's very brash, very kind of stereotypically American. I thought, OK, well, I'll go with this. And he had a, a ball of elastic bands and he was pinging them around. I thought, well, that's a bit annoying. But OK, let's, you know, let's, it's his first day. He's excited. So the first day kind of came and went. But I remember going home and saying to my wife, like, yeah, this guy, is, yeah, I'm sure he'll be fine. I'm sure he'll be fine. Anyway, the next day I had an early meeting. And um, I came in at about seven, half seven, and I was the first in. Well, I thought I was the first in, and he was there already. And I was okay. like, oh, wow, you're, you're, you're in, you know, great. You know, what time did you get in? And he said, oh, about um, about two o'clock. I said, you what? Two o'clock in the morning? And he went, yeah, yeah. You know, I just couldn't really sleep, and I thought that I've always told myself, I can't sleep, just get up and be productive. And he had an hour's commute. He lives in New Hampshire. I was like, so... What time? You must have left at like one. Like you didn't leave it very long to try and get to sleep. And he's like, no, nah, no, nah, I just thought I'll go, go. You're going to be knackered later. I mean, this is. And, and also, who have you been talking to? Everyone's asleep. Right. I mean, I, I just, it, I, it, I, it, I couldn't comprehend it. I, I just really struggled. I think I probably sat there for like two hours, just going over in my head, like, what is going on here? Anyway, I said, look, you're going to be exhausted later. And he goes, no, no, I'll have some coffee. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. Anyway. Lunchtime comes and goes, and I and I'm like, has anyone seen the fella? I won't name him. And I says, has anyone seen it? And everyone's like, no, I haven't seen him. I thought mm, that's odd. So I phoned him up, didn't answer. Gave it another half an hour, still not back to the office. Phoned him up, and he's in his car. And I'm like, where are you? And he goes, yeah, I'm driving home. You're right. I was tired, so I've gone home. I was like, right, okay. Did you not think about? I mean, I told you this. What happened? Did you not even think about telling me or asking me if it's all right to leave? And then he started backtracking and saying, oh, yeah, no, I've been sick. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I'm so tired, I've been vomiting. And like, this is just absolutely whack. Uh, you know, this is just crazy. So anyway, he went and I phoned up my my manager, my boss, co-founder, who was in L.A. for a sanity check. And we just both, basically both said, this is this is just nuts. And, Too much. And so I phoned him up and I just said, don't come back. Um, and, and, and he didn't come back. And I later found out that he hadn't ever worked in recruitment. It totally faked his his resume and he actually was probably known a little bit in boston circles for doing that you know more than you know once or twice 
but that's just some of the crazy things that happens when you hire people. You, you, you can, you're never quite sure. I remember even doing a reference on him and he must've teed somebody up. Um, yeah. it was, it, it was just, yeah, I always remember that. It was, I've just never seen anything like that since very, very odd, but thank God that you could just get rid of people, you know, that quickly. <laughs> But imagine basically with us for a day and a half. That is bonkers. Absolutely bonkers. What about what about a positive story then? One that's a bit more sane is the only way I can describe it. Well, I think sometimes positive stories is about um where somebody was and where they are now. Um and I remember, you know, I hired a guy, we had we used to do grad schemes, so we'd have an intake of maybe four or five. We'd know that maybe a couple of them won't work out. And um, they go into this kind of training scheme for maybe a month. And then afterwards, they're then designated to one of the divisions. Um, and for whatever reason, I got the other guys picked who they wanted. And I was like last in the queue to get who I want. So I got the like the, the runt of the litter, so to speak. Um, and and it's funny because the first day he came in, he had he'd um, done his cruciate ligament or something. His knee was bad. He was on his crutches. Um, he, he was just kind of a bit all over the place. And I thought, oh, God, OK. But anyway, he came to my team and I remember a few weeks down the line, he was, he was, he was struggling because at that point we threw him straight into a 360 role. We didn't put them into any kind of resource delivery function first. It was a bit cutthroat, just throwing at the deep end and he was struggling. And, um, we then, I thought there might be something in him. So I said, let's put him into a resource role after about two, three months. Let's not let him go. And so it kind of, he started doing quite well. Um, and, and doing a few deals and things kind of began to work out. I later on found out that the day, I remember a day that he put a candidate forward that I was a bit unsure about, but he got an interview and that really gave him just a bit of a positive, I can do this. Um, and just like little things sometimes I think in recruitment can be the difference between if somebody thinks I can do this or not, mm. or whether or not it's been a good day or a bad day. Little did I, did I know that day he had his resignation letter in his pocket. He was going to resign. And hmm. just getting that interview request, he thought, do you know what? I'm going to just give it another day or two and see it out. And luckily he did because spin on, um, he ended up being with the company for over 10 years. Um, he was top biller at least a couple of times. He came out to uh, Boston with me as my right-hand man there, um, built some great money over the years. He ran one of our biggest accounts in the US. He now runs his own agency. Um, he's got a team of kind of, three or four people with him and he is one of those recruiters that is incredibly um just credible right and and he's not one of these kind of wide boy you know loud he's a very quiet kind of unassuming guy but just very very good at what he does and and we became really good friends but i just always look back on that day and think what could have been if he had actually if that interview request didn't happen or maybe if he got delayed by a day or two he would have quit and he wouldn't have gone into recruitment. He, he would have been burnt. He would have, and he maybe have gone on to being successful elsewhere, probably. Mm. But there, there's, you know, I think there's a few, a lot of people have got those kind of stories where something nearly packed it in. Um, I remember I nearly packed it in. My, my boss literally had me in tears. He wouldn't, he wouldn't have known that because I kind of went and went for a little bit of a walk. I just seemed to have a bit of bad luck. Nearly packed it in. But you don't. And you look back on those kind of moments in your career and you just think, God, what, what if? And what, what would have happened? Um, so yeah, no, that was a great story, and I'm super, mm. super proud of him. So so happy about it. Really inspiring, and I guarantee you probably tells the same story as well. I was going to quit on that day, but that one interview request changed my career, and now look at where I am. Yeah, a great no, story no, to get up on stage and tell. I'm sure. Bless him.
Yeah, 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 no doubt. I think, you know, when we meet up for beers and stuff, it comes up from time to time. Because when we took him, he graduated, but he was working in the in the um, bakery section in Tesco's. Oh, and right. we joke about, you know, well, he could have been a baker, mate. He could have gone back to Tesco. <laughs> he might have been successful there too. Amazing. Love that. Two really cool stories, actually. Two of the favourite ones I think I've heard so far. So thank you. Even the crazy one was pretty fun. Um, cool. Last two minutes then. Quick fire round. A few quick questions. Nice short answers. We'll go from there. Sure. First one. Favourite sales book? Do you know what? I don't actually read them. I should, and I've been meaning to. Um, my business partner says to me, you've got to be read, read more of them and kind of get into it. I just, I've always felt that, um, do you know what? That's a lie. A few years ago, I was on holiday and I did read a couple and I just felt a bit conflicted after reading it. And I know you should mm. probably take the good parts from each one and maybe think that's good. I might use that. I might use that. I, I found it, I was almost more confused. And I thought things are going kind of all right at the moment. So I haven't really gone and got back into it. I've now got three young kids and I haven't got time. (laughs) (laughs) Taking all that free time. Yeah. So um, I think maybe when things get a little bit easier, and obviously I've been in a startup for the last two years, um, it's been manic that um, I will. But at the the moment, I I can't answer your question, I'm afraid. No worries. We'll see if it comes to light one day. I imagine you have some people you follow on LinkedIn, much shorter reads, that's pretty much guaranteed. Who are your favourite people to take uh, inspiration or influence from? Um, well, certainly kind of in the recruitment circles, um, I've got, and you know, I listen to a lot of the podcasts and stuff. I guess, in a sense, I would do that instead of reading the, the, the sales book. You can say a podcast if you like them. Um, I mean, I've been on the RAG podcast a couple of times, so I've got to say say that with Sean Anderson. Um, they, they certainly get a good... Um, a good following um i quite like the one hisham he he, he gets some good people on there as Pretty well mentors one yeah 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 and and i'm always interested i mean there's a couple of people i keep in touch with or follow um so the, the guy that runs sphere digital um ed steer um they've done really well um i met him uh, funny enough at a, a, a wedding i was on the same table as him and kind of got chatting and we kind of kept in touch every now and again when i set up um edison i reached out to him for a bit of a sanity check and a few bits and pieces um a good friend of mine who i grew up with actually in school we both ended up in recruitment he was the ceo of um uh square one uh resources and uh i've got adam breacher he knowledgeable guy really good sounding board um i i i, I think you know simon lafosse of lafosse is always really interesting to hear so he's been around for a long time knows his stuff um so, yeah, you know, I think, you know, my two old uh, bosses who I spent, you know, years working with, both at console and at um, networking people, uh, Graham Hubert and, and Mark Cohen, um, were big, big influences in my career. And obviously still talk to them. They do investment kind of stuff and advisory kind of work now. Um, so, you know, I've, I'm fortunate. I've met some really, you know, good people. James Osborne of the TRN group, um, known James for a long time. He helped us in our infancy here always got good things to say about him so yeah i'm I'm fortunate cool nice and then these are three tips that i want from you one for an aspiring manager one for a current manager and one for a sales leader or recruitment leader in this case so starting with aspiring managers what tip would you give to someone who's a current top performer who wants to become a manager of a team a good biller doesn't necessarily make a good manager i think everybody knows that but it just seems to be the path that people go i'd also say to that individual there are other paths you know, I think some people get coerced or think that's the only route to go. It's, it's, I don't think it is. But if they are intent on in going down the management route, I'd, I'd say you've got to embrace the data. 
um, and really try and get into the detail. Um, I learned that a bit late, uh, as we said early, earlier, but the sooner you can do that and kind of get your head around it, I think that is a great thing. Don't don't be scared by the word KPI. It's your best friend, 100%. Love it. And then what about for current managers, those that maybe have been in the role a year or two, still finding their feet and really figuring things out, what advice or a top tip would you give to them? Hmm. You know, I, th I think management is all about styles. And I think you need to be comfortable of defining your own style and what what you think works for other people. And it's got to be productive, obviously, and then kind of sticking with it. Now, I know you need to manage people in slightly different ways, but if you're not consistent in the way that you manage broadly your team, mm. then I think it's get, it gets very difficult. You know, you, if people can contradict you or call you out on this, that and the other, it can be very difficult to maintain a really, you know, healthy reputation. So I think understand what your style is and, and, and keep consistent with it for sure. Love it. And then the final one is for people like yourself, co-founders, company leaders, or people leading a lot of managers. What advice would you have for them? Managers of managers, essentially. So we've recently, we kind of got to a point where we've had to appoint now um, team leaders. Um, and a lot of our conversation of them has been, what's our culture here? And how do we maintain it? Because they're going to really influence it now that they're managers. So I think that you need to understand what works and for us from a culture perspective and how you know if it does work how can we kind of keep that going because now they are real ambassadors and leaders of it i don't think culture probably gets talked about um enough the other thing we've been talking to them about is don't sweat the small stuff sometimes they'll come to us and go oh you know this has happened or what should i do with this so i i wouldn't worry about it I, I honestly i think you know that's either a bit petty or you're overthinking it and i think a lot of newish managers overthink things too much and maybe you need to have a little bit more of a mid to long term view as opposed to that kind of hourly view that sometimes happens in the day to day you know, kind of grind of, of uh, office life. Um, so I, that's that's something we're working with them at the moment. Like it. Cool. I mean, that's it. Quick fire round is done and dusted. Um, really appreciate your time. Really appreciate all you shared today as well. Loads of the stories I will not forget for a long time. I guarantee you of that. <laughs> Chance for you then, any shout outs you want to make, anything you want to point people towards, company website, your LinkedIn, anything like that? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Edison Smart, we've recently rebranded re actually, we were Edison Search, but um, we were known for doing a lot of work in the IoT domains. Um, we still do that, but um, our business has kind of begun to overlap more into data automation and, and AI. So that's why we had the, the, the change up to Edison Smart, because it's smart tech. So that, and you know, we're, we're hiring um, on all fronts. We've recently just launched an office in Dubai, interested nice. in people that might be wanting to further their career out there, or ideally are already there uh, for sure. Um, yeah, no, that's about it really. We'll just stay in our lane and keep doing what we're doing. Awesome, Ben, been an absolutely delightful 45 minutes. Thank you so much. And I uh, look forward to this one hitting the airwaves. Thank you so much. Likewise, thanks a lot, Derry, appreciate it.